Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. It is amazing that this year has gone by so very quickly, especially when you consider all of the things that have transpired during this year and all of the ways that God has protected, provided, prepared. It's, it really is and has been a miraculous time. And maybe we can see a principle of the Spirit in this because the Bible tells us in a number of occasions things like the verse that says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. We're needing to be trained by the Spirit that no matter what goes on, we are going to be um, triumphant. And it may not be in the way we have envisioned, but the Scripture says a lot about that, too. God's ways are not man's ways. There's a way that seems right unto man, the end thereof is destruction, um, those types of verses. And so when you especially are moving in a prophetic walk, you try to be prophetic in your, in your activities, you need to understand what that means. It does not mean that God is at your beck and call. It does not mean that whatever you fancy, you declare it like some Christian wizard and get it exactly the way you want. One of the things I've learned in my many decades as a Christian is that when God moves in a miraculous way, it's usually not in a way that anybody has envisioned. They may have called it it to pass. They may have prayed concerning it. They may have recognized the timing of the Lord, but the way God is actually going to do it is up to him, and the timing is included in that. So, as we are beginning a new year, I hearken back to last year, and the things that God said about the year, my goodness, they manifested themselves in ways that none of us saw. But in retrospect, what God put in our hearts happened. So I would think that for everybody at the Father's Church here in Dallas or anybody who is um, aligned with the Father's Church in Dallas across the many miles, or if you're part of another really powerful church uh, moving in the things of the Spirit, or if you're a prayer group leader, convener, or whatever it is that you are uh, in conjunction with this movement of the saints, we need to recognize that God is speaking to his people and God is very clear with <clears throat> what he's wanting to do and what he is going to do. Especially, you have to add the caveat of if you're a praying people, <laughs> 
if you are really seeking the heart of God to know what he wants, God will let you know the inclinations. But the specifics and the details are largely his. And that's where a lot of people miss it when it comes to the prophetic. We're going to look today at the book of Mark chapter 11. There is no teaching sheet today because we're going to consider this scripture and we're just going to talk together. You know, if you want a pile of scriptures, <laughs> review some of our recent archives. There are lots of them. We're mixing it up here. We're changing speeds at the direction of, I believe, what the Lord wants. So Mark 11, chapter, Mark 11, verses 20 through 26, if you want to go ahead and turn there. I remember when I was in my teens and uh, I was attending church in a Pentecostal church. My parents had us there every time there was a service, anything that was going on, work days, whatever. We even cleaned the church for free, I might add. And um, so I was, I was rooted and grounded in, you know, the standard fundamental truths. And I remember that <clears throat> it was about that time that the faith movement erupted. And it, it was a good thing in some ways, but it was a misleading thing in another. And I studied, I studied intently. I would order booklets from uh, first of all, from Oklahoma, and I would um, I would also listen to teachings. I would get tape, cassette tape series. Remember those? And I would listen because here was here was a teaching that actually expected something from God. Here were scriptures that. We just kind of read, but passed over. And that, we do that as Christians, don't we? we? We honor the word, but so often we don't pay attention to what it really says. And so here was a concept that the actual people of God could put the scripture into practice, become really... Uh, a type of a prophet in declaring and proclaiming <clears throat> and then believing that it would actually happen. This was mind-boggling to me. It, it, and I would dare say to most people in the church. Now, I, I had been, as from a little boy, the tail end of the Latter Rain movement, going to tent revivals with my parents and hearing many of the evangelists and teachers Catherine Kuhlman was in Pittsburgh um, still at that time, and that was where um, I lived. And my mother was part of her prayer group, and um, so we would hear her every day on radio, and we would hear the miracles and the things that happened. So we weren't, we weren't um, people that didn't believe things. But here was a concept that not just when a a gunslinger comes to town and puts up their tent, 
not just when somebody who has an unusual capacity of the Spirit has holding meetings, but this was for everybody. And that there was the thing that captivated me. So I studied, I memorized scriptures in, in regard to that. Of course, anybody growing up in a church, you're memorizing scriptures anyway. But now I was memorizing them uh, in alignment with this fresh perspective. The problem was that while there were a lot of good things that I learned, for instance, studying the scripture, looking at things that were beyond the three-point sermon and the normal things you hear, you know, how to be born again, stay away from sin, how to be filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, get ready for the rapture, you know, be live a life so that you're caught away when the church is caught away, you know, all those things. And then the end time things, who's the Antichrist? You, you'd hear those sermons over and over and over over again. And now here was something new. The problem with this was, as is the case with so many divine visitations, the core, the core teaching is often extrapolated upon so often that it then becomes a product of emotion or it becomes um, infiltrated by a, a, a bad interpretation that then takes a life of its own. And um, I, I really had a lot of things as a, as a teenager that um, I wanted. You know, as a teenager, I'm talking 13 to 16. That was really the core of, of when I was talking about. And, um, you know, I wanted to not have to wear glasses, which I had worn since I was five. I wanted my eyes to be healed and, and corrected. I wanted... Uh, you know, what does a kid want? You know, you you want, I won't go through the list. You just think, what, what would you have wanted when you were 13 through 17 years old? And you put all these principles together and you de declare. Well, the problem was a lot of those things that I declared and believed and proclaimed didn't happen. And I was absolutely crushed and of course then a lot of a lot of people had that going on people who were adolescents and when they were 40 years old and 50 years old um and then the thing is well you didn't have enough faith or you let something come into your mind that corrupted the thought it was always that it, it couldn't be that the principle was somehow misconstrued. It was that you screwed it up. And you know, it was really frustrating. Uh, and I, I didn't discredit the scripture. Never would have done that. But I was disillusioned by this movement. And, as, and again, remember, I was a kid. 
I was a kid. So I, um, I never discarded faith in God, but I recognized very clearly that there was something different in the way I was trying to apply these principles and scriptures. There's something different from what they actually meant. Now, I believe God heals. I believe in the prophetic word. I believe in the scripture. I believe in all of these things. But um, it wasn't ever about whatever I came up with. I was going to get it. You know, that, that was really a part of this teaching in the extrapolations. And, you know, I honestly, I... Um, I started to hear of this from Dr. Kenneth Hagin, who I loved listening to. He was funny. You know, he came out of the Assemblies of God, and, you know, he had a similar background to me, and, um, but he, he would teach these things. And I remember, though, that he, he would say, you know, I started teaching this message and I would go in and, you know, I would speak at churches. And uh, very often, you know, my family would be with me and we didn't get enough offering to feed ourselves. And um, he said, there are a lot of people that talk about faith and they think it's all filet mignon and new Cadillacs. But faith finds its root when you're doing what God has asked you to do and you're believing him, but in the natural, it looks like you have totally failed. And that's one of the ones that doesn't, doesn't bring about a, a big seminar attendance. I mean, uh, people want it and they want it now. And this thing promised it. So it brings us to the point of what we're going to look at here in Mark and it really does refresh our memories concerning some things that God had taught us in the Word over the past year and a half. But it also applies itself to what we as the people of God need to embrace as we enter into this year 2021 of the prophetic. And there were a lot of things over this past year that I absolutely knew God was going to do in the way I thought he was going to do them. And because of COVID, many of them didn't happen. But what God said in my heart that he was going to do, they happened. It just didn't happen in the way I declared and planned for. Many of you in this last election Things didn't happen the way you prayed and the way you agreed. And you wonder, what's happened here? Is I knew that, here's an, here's an old phrase, I knew that I knew that I knew that it was going to happen this way, and it didn't. I remember two years ago when we started the year, God told us as a network to come against the sin of abortion. And... We, we were able to go down to the federal, what was the federal courthouse um, 
and be in the actual room where the uh, Roe Wade uh, trial was initially brought forth. And we prayed there on a Saturday morning and had uh, a lot of people around the world that were praying with us. Since that time, has abortion gone away? No. But hasn't God put things in place that truly are miraculous, that could very easily in God's timing speak into that from a legal perspective and correct some egregious wrongs that have been a blight upon our country? So did God hear those prayers? Were we just looking for an outing that would get everybody inspired and we could raise our banners and get juiced up? Or did God really tell us to do that? And did he use our prayers? And is he using them in his timing and in his ways? Well, of course. But there probably were some, we never said this, who thought that within three months this horrid activity would be gone. It wasn't. But God is moving. So, as we enter into this year, I want us to recognize as people who are prophetic in nature what it means when Jesus says what he says here in Mark 11, verses 20 through 26. And here we have it. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. This is the one that Jesus had cursed back in verse 13. And in verse 14, he says, nobody will eat fruit of you hereafter forever. I feel like that curse is on a lot of the things that I've tried to plant. <laughs> oh, I just don't have the green thumb coming out of a heritage of farmers. Now, I suspect that some of the people in my, in, in down in the hills and hollers of West Virginia didn't have that gift either. But um, I, I remember there's a very dear lady in our church. I'm not going to mention her name, uh, but she'll know who I'm talking about. But she she brings flowers and plants for the church. And so I would get these African violets and put them in my office. And, you know, I had a couple of them that were just prolific. They were blooming and just blooming all the time. And I was so, oh, I will say, I was proud of that. Not from, a, I knew I hadn't done it, but I was just blessed to see that thing happening. And it was beautiful, and then all of a sudden, they both took a turn and croaked, just like all the other plants that I'd ever had in my office. So, I mean, that part of this verse, I think I could really be good at, you know? Cursing fig trees, cursing African violets, you know, cursing... Um, you know, even, even when I was in high school, we had several crab apple trees in our yard, and they were prolific. Problem was that the only thing that ate them were, were the deers. And it was funny to watch those deers consume those crab apples. Now, I said, we couldn't do anything with them. And there was a lady who was in our church who said, well, we used to use those crab apples to make pies and things. And I thought, 
more power to you. I'm sure that's good, but we never use them. So the point, though, is that Jesus had cursed this fig tree. So the disciples come back. They're walking, and they see that um, this tree has already dried up from the roots. Peter called to remembrance, saying unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursedst is withered away. Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shalt not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. When you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. A lot of stuff here. On the surface, <coughs> excuse me, reading it in English, it would seem that whatever you say, whatever you desire, you can have. As long as you don't doubt in your heart, and as long as you're not living in unforgiveness. However, uh, I... Um, I know that God has shown us some things from the study of the original text that clarifies this. The first is, what things however you desire. Well, let's look at it. Desire was from that word that we studied, iteo, and um, from that comes petition as well. It's a type of prayer that is in an authority structure to where you are serving God, the way it's used in the, in the New Testament, and he puts something in your heart that is something that he is absolutely wanting. It's directed by him. It has nothing to do with your whims or fancies. So, if you iteo, you are you have heard from God, and you know that His perspective, His plan dictates a certain course of action, and you have a specificity of something that you are supposed to proclaim and declare before Him. And you are to continue in that pursuit in your petitions. Now, it's not about how many times you say it. It's not whether you say it loud with the blowing of the shofar. The onus of this is that you are in absolute lockstep in prayer as a partner with God. And you know that whatever mountain is there, you um, you have to have it moved. 
Not all mountains need to be removed. Some mountains you go over. Some mountains you go up to the top and put a high, uh, an altar there, and you declare. In in, what would have happened if Moses had cast Sinai into the sea? Um, you know what I'm saying. The other thing about this is that when it talks about prayer, then it's prosuke or prosukomai, which is part of the supplication type of prayer. You function in supplication, which is a partnership with God. And then God gives you insights and inclinations and perspectives. And that is the way he communicates the plan, the pathway, the perspective. And from that then, there are specifics that the Spirit of God will highlight and you then aggressively and confidently put them forward. But it's not about you just praying, oh God, you know, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. You remember that song? Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? That wasn't in the Melodies of Praise hymnal. I think that was published before the faith movement. It may be in books from Fort Worth. I don't know. But, um, you know, it's, it's not that you keep praying that and you every morning you declare and you stand in the mirror and slap yourself in the face a few times if there's any doubt that might creep in. Same with the desires of your heart. What is the heart? We've said this before. In essence, the heart, I've, I've said this and I think it's true, is the steering wheel of who you are. You, you are functioning as a, in the spirit with God. You're trained in studying the scripture. You want his will. You have to bring your mind into uh, obedience and service to what we just said. Um, your emotions have to be quelled to align with what God is doing in those in those prayer times and then your heart becomes the point of the arrow you know, where you are to be now the heart can be wicked desperately wicked um, the heart can imagine evil things because that steering wheel can be used you know your car can be used to take somebody groceries who is not feeling well or it can be hijacked and used to rob a bank. So the steering wheel can be used for nefarious things as well as for good things. But for the Christian, the heart should be uh, demonstrating all the other things that are in alignment in partnership with God. So with the heart, man believes. And with the mouth, then confession is made unto salvation. The desires of your heart, if they are aligned with what you're partnering with God in, 
what he puts in your heart to do, not your emotions, not your good ideas. There are a lot of people who confuse those things. I believe God's told me this. Oh, my goodness. As a, I've been a pastor for over 40, over 40 years now. It's amazing that a person's so young. I actually began pastoring when I was in the crib. Um, but I've heard so many people blame their idiocy on God told me. And even I've heard people get out of things that I knew God wanted them to do by saying God told me not to. It's the old check in the spirit line. I, I've had people that have done horrific things because they say God told me. Just absolutely asinine things. So you better not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. But when you really know that this isn't your good idea or your emotions and you toss out the caveat of God told me to try to put the trump card on everybody else. You know, I knew a long time ago that when somebody threw that out there, there wasn't a whole lot I could do. Somebody said, God told me this. Well, then you got problems right here in River City. Because, you know, you almost have to wait until the thing falls through to say, okay, now let's talk about what you felt. There was one person that in the, in the, over the years that was saying that about just about everything. And I had to pull him aside and talk to him. And I said, look, God's not talking to you that much. You know, he's not telling you all these things to do. I mean, you, you're getting more direct words from God than Moses did. So what is it that you actually are feeling when you say this? And I had to be very careful because God does commune with us every day. But he's not directing everything you do. Well, God told me to go in there and brush my teeth right now. God may be telling you, you better start brushing your teeth. But he's not, he's not giving you a directive for every minute of the day. He's just not. Now, you can be communing with God, but the point is, is that we have striven by the directive of the Scripture to partner with the Spirit of grace and supplication, to be partners with God in whatever way He desires. And when that happens, our prayers take on a new frame. It helps that we can pray in diversities of tongues where we're praying directly to God where we're speaking in the spirit mysteries or mysterion, where we are having our faith built up. It helps to have that. But you can't just rely on that. Note just. You've got to be able to commune with God in your own language. And how you do that then really demonstrates the character that has been being built and still needs to be developed the integrity of who you are, and that sharpens the edge of the point, the compass point of your heart. And so when you are praying for the will of God to be done and you really mean it, God will begin to speak to you and give you perspective and lead you into rhema passages of the scripture. And then from that base, from that those embers, the Spirit of the Lord will at times say, I want to do this and I want you to partner with me. Now, there will be times where there are specifics 
But you better make sure those specifics are coming from him and not something that you added to your Iteo, your desire. And I I know that I know that we're going to face this in the year to come, this prophetic year. If if we've learned anything from this past year is that we are we're on the mountaintop, we're in the valley, we're moving back up the mountain, we're 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 really walking with God in the high places. He's making our feet like hinds feet. And um, this is an amazing thing. Now, what about the fig tree? We've studied about the fig tree before, and we've talked about how in Jesus' days, and I don't know how far this went back into the intertestamental period, but there was the mindset that the fig tree represented wisdom. Even though the almond tree is the first to bud, and it's what you know, um, Aaron's rod butted into. We, we understand that. That partners with wisdom and revelation. But the fig tree represents commune with God, and in, it was in the Jewish mindset, and hearing from God and wanting to have a direct point of, of um, fellowship on a, on a very deeper level to where God would expand your capacity to hear from him and to understand things. Which is why Nathaniel was sitting under that tree and Jesus denoted that when Nathaniel came to him and he said, you know, an Israelite in whom there's no guile, uh, that fig tree represented hearing from God and um, wanting to know more of him. There was a parable that Jesus spoke in the book of Luke, that there was a, uh, a property owner who had a, vi- a vineyard, and, or as the Indians would say, a vineyard, and um, he came to see the, the vine dresser, and he had a fig tree in his vineyard, and he said, for three years, I've been coming here wanting to get some figs out of this thing, and it's not producing. Cut it down. And the, the vine dresser says, Lord, give me one more year. I'll dig around it and I will dung it, which means I'll fertilize it. And if it doesn't produce by then, you can I'll cut it down. Why did Jesus say that? Now, most commentators will say, well, you can see the power of prayer. This vine dresser, you know, he, he, uh, he believed that God could still do work. Well, if you, if you go down that trail, representatively in the parable, the owner of the vineyard was God. And he was the one that was saying, cut this sucker down. Those are my words. So, why would there be a fig tree in a vineyard? Because, to me, you can't just have, in you know, if the vineyard represents the new wine and what God is doing, you better have some indication that in regard to that, there are those that are actually waiting on God and hearing from him. And Jesus came to the fig tree. It didn't produce fruit. He got rid of it. Here in this parable in Luke, 
He advocated the same thing. The point is, not so much cursing fig trees, but functioning as the fig tree represented in that context. So we've got to hear from God. And really, why, this is why when Peter said, Look, Jesus, the, the, the fig tree which you cursed withered away. And so why does Jesus just launch into, I'll say it in a southern accent, and Jesus said, answering saith unto him, have faith in God. How many, how many gatherings, how many book series, how many cassette, you probably have a few in your closet. Have faith in God. Why did Jesus say that there in context with the fig tree being cursed? And why did he then talk about Iteo? Why did he talk about prosukamai and supplication and moving mountains? Because of the necessity of wanting to hear from God, dwelling there. You know, Jesus wanted to eat of that fruit just as he does today. He wants to commune with you there in that solitary place where you come specifically to hear from him. So that's why it's there. It's not about you having the power to curse trees. It's not about you having the power to, to move mountains. Start your own excavation company. It's about what's God said. What has he said to you in commune? How are you aligning yourself uh, as a partner with God? Are you listening to him? And in that, are you sensitive that in the midst of that hearing, there are at times specific things that God wants you to take aim at and proclaim and to declare on the authority of the throne. And at the same time, you are making your petition of that very thing to God. How do you make that? It's not like you're saying, well, God, you know, I cursed this thing last week and it didn't move yet. Please, God, what did I do wrong? Please help me. You know, God doesn't like whiners. You know, instead of the church complaining about people drinking wine, they should spend more time talking about people who dole out whining. <laughs> um, that's another story. But, you know, when you go before God with your petitions, you are regaling in praise. Thank you, Father, that what you put in, in my heart to partner with you regarding in this particular assignment, thank you that you're doing that. I just thank you. I'm not forgetting. A petition is more about you than it is about the recipient. It's more about you feeling as if you have done something proactive and good than it is about whether the person getting it is actually going to do anything with it or not. And so when you make petitions in an itema, you are in that authority structure and you are making, you are, you're there before God and what he has already put in your heart to say. So think about how foolish it is for us to misinterpret what a petition, a tema is. If God has been in a partnering relationship with you and he puts it in your heart to make a declaration why in the world would you then have to be gathering up a petition in English terms 
and try to coerce and convince God that he better move. <laughs> what about it shall not doubt in his heart? Doubt here is diacrino. I mean, that means to, if you're supposed to be judging prophecy. Well, here's the same word, diacrino. You lay everything out and then you figure what is working, what's not. Sometimes when people are in partnership with God, the doubt that they do is really contraindicative, contraindicative, and um, they they tear themselves apart. It's kind of like the person who puts something in the oven and then they keep opening it to poke in there to see if it's cooking. You're going to destroy it. And really, this kind of doubt, diacrino, is really nitpicking and questioning God and truly... Um, well, it is doubt. You're, you're investigating the process instead of trusting it. we got to be careful with that. And usually how people do that, they'll say, they'll lay it all out. God, I just don't understand. You and I prayed. <clears throat> and if I've ever felt anything before, I felt it then. And I begin to pray, prosuke, what you have spoken to me about. And then that day, that glorious day that you highlighted something that I was supposed to be declaring, it was a, a missile shot from your throne. I knew this was right. So what went wrong? Why? I'm diacrinoing this. Usually when we do that, it's more about how did you screw up, God? I did everything I was supposed to do. Don't do that in the compass point of your life. Don't do that in your heart. Everything else is in line. Just let it sit. Amazing. So then it says, verse 24. Now, what, why, what does a mountain represent? Um, well, it, it represents an obstacle. Usually in the spirit realm, it can represent... It, it represents a, uh, a focal point of the presence of the God that we love. The kings of Israel were judged as to what they did or did not do in the high places. And so there are some times that high places are resisting. There is an enemy occupation that just simply does not want to budge. And you have to take aim at that. There are other times where a mountain represents an obstruction. And it's time for it to be cast away. But in both of those instances, those are not everyday occurrences. Otherwise, we'd all be living, we'd join the Flat Earth Society. There'd be no mountains. In fact, we'd probably all be underwater. We'd be like Water World. Because all the all the faith people had cast all the mountains into the seas and the water level would have flooded all that flat ground. Does that make sense? So many people have done unauthorized, um, unauthorized uh, deliverances. They go around doing drive-by casting outs in places where they didn't have any authority to be doing it in. 
because any warfare, if it's going to be successful, must be directed by the generalship, and that's God. I was reading, I was studying about Elisha and Elijah last night and early this morning, and I was seeing when when Elijah went up, there were 50 sons of the prophets who begged Elisha that would he permit them to go and search in the hills and in the mountains because God may have caught Elijah up and then dropped him, which is kind of a goofy thing to say. Elisha said after a while, okay, go ahead. And they came back and found him not. Elisha was in Jericho at that point. I'm not going to teach this right now. But my point was that I was thinking about another issue where somebody God had taken away and the people didn't know where. You know, Enoch was one, but Moses, it says very clearly that Moses died and God buried him. The people didn't know where, which was probably because they would have made a shrine of him. Now, in Jude 9, it says that Michael was being affronted by the enemy because Satan wanted the body of Moses. And I was reading a a well-regarded commentator, and they took that opportunity to say, see, even the great archangel Michael would not confront the enemy. And um, so we don't have any authority to cast out demons. And I thought, boy, you swung from one tree on a long leap to another tree. Are you still alive? Because that's not what was being said there. What was being said there is that Michael did not engage in blasphemia crisis. In other words, he did not take things out of what God has commanded him to do and answer the enemy or to confront the enemy. He stayed in line, which is what we're saying here. Now, why didn't God want the people to know? Why did, De- why did Satan want the body of Moses? Well, there's, I don't, not his counsel, thank God. Um, nobody is. Don't want to be. But, I'm sure that had Satan had that body, the cadaver, he could have done all kinds of things. He could have put together a cult of Moses and a lot of the the people in that area would have been worshiping it. Here's the other factor of, you know, I was talking about Elisha when he died. Remember, there was anointing in the bones and that dude that was... uh, was dead. His friends were taking him to bury him someplace and the Midianites were there and the people got spooked and tossed this dead guy into Elisha's sepulcher and when the guy touched the bones of Elisha, he sprung back to life. There's an issue of there being residual anointing. Maybe the enemy as a fallen one knew how to tap into that. I don't know. The enemy's very very desirous of capturing people now who tasted of the heavenly gift, 
who receive fresh input from the Spirit concerning what God is doing amongst his sons right now. The enemy is very interested in turning those people so that in some ways he can utilize those fresh measures of um, empowerment. In fact, the whole kingdom of darkness has been functioning on behalf of absconded anointings in those enemy spirits and in histemi points around the world that have yet to be activated or turned to what God put them there for. You say, I don't believe in that. Well, would you read the scripture in the, in the wilderness temptation? Satan took Jesus to a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said, I will give you all of these right now if you will lay on your face before me. Read that sometime. Jesus did not contest the enemy having sway in those places or in the glory. The only thing he said, it is written that you will not shacha before anyone other than God. And another thing which we've said a number of times is we're approaching the end times. You better recognize that every time the mark of the beast is mentioned in the scripture, it is in conjunction with proskuneo, laying on the face before the beast, the false prophet, the antichrist. And anybody who does not do both of those is not even going to be able to buy or sell, and they're going to be killed. So, Jesus did not contest what the enemy said about the deposits of the glory. Even when Jesus dealt with the legion of unclean spirits, the army unit in Gadara, they said, have you come to get rid of us before the time? And they asked Jesus, don't send us out of this terrio. And Jesus sent them into a herd of swine, which was the first issue of deviled ham in Scripture. And um, Jesus could have said, you go to the abyss. You know, he could have done anything. He's the son of God, the very living God. So you've got to use some discretion. That all, Not every mountain is going to be cast out. You've got to wait for God to specifically say this. So then it says, what things, verse 24, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you have them. Here we have those two words, Iteo prosuke, which we've been talking about. And when you stand in that point of covenant with God in prosukamai, he talks about forgiveness. Now, this is interesting to me because. If you're born again by the blood of Jesus, does this mean that if you get crossways with somebody, that then you're not born again anymore? Or is this in the context within which Jesus is teaching, that if you come before God, you stand prosukamai, which means that you are in supplication mode. That if you are holding a grudge or if you're just ticked or if you you just and people can be this way i could be this way every person has the capacity well maybe not everybody some of you just so sweet you'd never do this but most people have the capacity to do this 
what what is the issue here? Because when you are standing in that holy place before God, you cannot be demonstrating something that is onerous or offensive to God. And suddenly, you as a son and as a partner are demonstrating something that God cannot tolerate. And you suddenly are dysfunctional. There is no free flow of the heart of God in forgiveness and in restoration, which arguably, whatever God is telling you to do, whatever you're partnering with him in in intercession, whatever you are specifically petition-wise, iteoing, those are all demonstrations of things that were out of whack, things that were maybe in iniquity, maybe in some kind of missing the mark, maybe in some demonic type of thing. Maybe people had done horrid things with those specific aspects that you're praying about. And now suddenly you're asking God in partnership with him to restore and to cleanse and to purge those things. But yet in your heart, you've got the vestiges of the very things you're asking God to correct. It's a deal breaker. Now, here's the deal. Not not the deal. Here's the thing with this. Whether you're right with God or not is a matter between you and God. I'm, I'm not going to judge. I can't judge anybody. Because God... God does a lot of things that, in my own mind, I think, God, you sure are loving because, man, I lost, I lost patience with that thing a long time ago. And there have been people that he saves from the uppermost to the uttermost. God is a forgiving God, but yet he, he does not look away from sin. There's some people teaching progressively right now that when Jesus gave himself on the cross, that that means everybody's already born again. Everybody, no matter who you are, whether you accept Jesus or not, that that's paid. That's ridiculous. I mean, that is such a, a demonic scheme. It, it just is, because it does away with so many scriptures that say otherwise. And so I'm not going to get into the business of whether if you're a Christian and you're ticked at Aunt Sally that somehow you're not forgiven anymore and you're not born again, I'm not going to go there. I want to stay in the context here. And the issue is you are partnering with God. Jesus uses some high-level words here and some very powerful things that are entrusted to people who are partnering with God in this way. And the whole essence of it is the restorative redemptive work of God for the earth, for his kingdom, for people, for people groups, for nations. And if you show up in that holy point of partnership and you're demonstrating something that is the antithesis of that, God, God's not going to find any pleasure in you in that. Which is why, again, you know, if you come to an altar and you're bringing your gift and you have ought against somebody, you go and make that right. Again, I, I've been in meetings 
where people have preached on this. And it's always an uncomfortable thing because, yeah, if you have an issue, you need to go to somebody. And if there's an issue that's known to the two of you, you need to get that right. But I've had people come up to me and they have a catharsis moment and they spill out all these things that I have done to them. It really is licensed for them to come and tell me off. And the, it, it does not create a healing moment when it's done wrong. This is about you. And if, if, if you know you've done something to somebody and it's hurt them, you need to go to them. But if they don't know don't go and open a new scar in them. Don't go and accuse them of all the ways that they've done you wrong when they've been oblivious to any of it. Now, I mean, it's a fine line. But when it comes to this business of if you have ought against somebody, I mean, if you sit there and you think, who might I have offended? That's a, that's a fool's errand. Because then you're just going to be going round the round and horn. Well, you know, the other day they looked at me. They gave me the stink eye. I wonder if I did something bad. I better go over there and ask them. Oh, you know what? Uh, I did something that wasn't really good a number of years ago. They did something to me and I didn't like it. And I said some bad words under my breath about them. I just, this, you know, I believe this, <clears throat> the Spirit of the Lord has brought that to me. I better go tell them. No, you better not. They've been, they didn't know that. So why are you going to open up a problem for them? So you've got to look at the context here. And again, when it comes to the business of salvation and somebody being right with God or not, God's the judge. You better stay out of it. You know what I mean? So I think in context here, the whole issue is hear from God. Partner with him in supplication. Um, make your perspective what God wants in the way you pray. If God gives you a word that he wants you to take and release regarding an obstacle, regarding some other thing that, that his spirit has indicated, you do it and you continue to give praise to God for that. Don't psychoanalyze it. Don't doubt in your heart. And, you know, whatever this thing's going to work. It may not work in the way you think it should, but it will. Leave the timing and leave the aspect, the specific aspects to God. I would dare say that of all the miracles that are listed in Scripture, I don't have a percentage, but I would say it's a better percentage than the Pfizer vaccine of people believing God or facing a desperate need, and the way God moved, none of them expected. None of them expected. Very interesting. So leave those details to God. So as we enter into this prophetic year, we need to apply this scripture, this, this passage. We need to say, Lord, I'm going to find as many opportunities here in your vineyard to really and truly seek you, to hear from you. And I don't mean you go and you 
put your AirPods in and you start listening to everybody else and their brother who's teaching and preaching these things. Again, by saying that, I'm not saying you don't listen to other people, but some people are addicted to that. So, I'm saying that you go without an agenda and you say, Father, I just want to dwell with you here. I want to hear from you. That should be in every vineyard. And you need to be desirous to partner with God. And you need to hear from him. You need to be sensitive when he gives you a specific directive to release. And you don't need to second guess or doubt or come before the Lord and say, you know, I don't understand, God, I did everything you said, and that mountain, she's still there. Don't be ridiculous. And in your personal life, if you're before God, act like you're one of his children. Don't hold grudges and say, you know, you're on like Danaher and the quiet man. Get me book out. Put their name in there. Write, write their name in my book. Don't do that. <laughs> it's just not godly. So, we're entering in this year of the prophetic, and I think with all these disclaimers, what I really believe is that God is going to, I've been all this time, I've just been telling you things, but now what I really believe is coming. Um, know that this pathway is what God is calling you to. We're going to see some phenomenal miracles, but it's not going to be what our mind thinks. It's not going to be what our emotions think. It's going to be in God's timing, in God's way, according to his will. Thanks for joining me today, and I pray that God will bless you and um, may the blood of Jesus continue to be upon you. And until the next time we're able to be together, keep walking as a partner with God, as a son of the Most High God. Don't dwell in fear. Walk in faith. Have faith in God. Bless you. Thanks for joining. Goodbye. <laughs>